0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: So we are in middle of chapter 43. Just to recap... Chapter 41, 42, and 43, the Rebbe describes five levels of fear of Hashem, or of Hashem. Five different levels. The first level is accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven, which is a general acceptance. You accept upon yourself the yoke of heaven. You're not just free. You can't just do as you please. You can't just allow yourself to look wherever you like, or to listen to whatever you want, or, or to follow every impulse and every urge and every instinct. You, you, you have a, a yoke. You're a servant. You're a soldier. You have a discipline. You can't just do, I'm not a free person. I have a discipline. I'm responsible have to answer to someone. And that acts as an automatic behind the scene, behind the background. It puts a little of a fence around you. You know, you can tell. You know, when a soldier, even when a soldier, even when he's not an active duty, you can tell he has a discipline. He has a yoke. You know, he, he's responsible. He's a soldier. He's responsible. He has to carry himself a certain way. You can't just act as you please. You're not a civilian. You're not just free to act as you are. You're a soldier. So that's what it means. That's the basic level to be a soldier of Hashem. You have a certain discipline. You accept upon yourself the yoke of heaven. Even if you don't feel anything, it's a general acceptance, a general giving over of yourself, dedicating yourself that I am a servant. I am a faithful, loyal soldier of Hashem. And therefore I have to answer to Hashem and you know, I'm not just a private person, I just live for myself I want, I want, I do want, I don't want it doesn't matter so much so you want, so I have an urge, so I have an impulse, so but I must see this, I must do this I want, I need, I want, what do you mean? you're a soldier, you're dedicated to yourself you have to answer to something greater than yourself you dedicated yourself to Hashem Hashem says no is no Hashem says, yes, says, yes, I want, I don't want, I'm in a mood, I'm not in the mood. It's a basic core discipline, fundamental discipline. That's really the lowest level. That's the foundation, the cornerstone. Without that, you have no connection to holiness, to godliness, to Yiddishkeit. The first level is the realization that Hashem's entire kingdom rests upon my soul, uh, my shoulders. Because if I accept upon myself Hashem is my sovereign and I am his soldier and I am his dedicated and faithful loyal servant then Hashem is king. If I am not if I refuse to accept Hashem's sovereignty on me and I don't accept upon myself that yoke then Hashem is no king. So that knowledge that awareness and that dedication to Hashem that's the basic elemental level of Kabbalah's accepting of the yoke of heaven. Then you have the level that he discussed in chapter 42, which is a higher level. It's what, it's what you call yedei chait. You're afraid of sin. As the Talmud says in Ethics of Our Fathers, the Mishnah says, that there's an eye that sees and there's an ear that hears. So knowing that there's an eye that sees and the ear that hears, that cramps your style a little. <laughs> I'm afraid to sin. Hashem is present. Hashem is with me at this moment, watching me, looking into my eyes and watching me. If Hashem is here, then if a stranger were in the room, it would cramp my style. I'm not going to behave in public in a certain way. You carry yourself in a certain way. You're in public. Somebody is watching. Somebody is looking. How much more so when Hashem himself is watching and looking and is with me 24-7, you behave a certain way. You're afraid to sin. But the emphasis is on the fear of sin. I'm afraid. I'm I'm not going to do anything that's wrong. I'm afraid to do anything that's wrong. So primarily, it motivates me not to do the sin, the 365 prohibition. Even the 248 mitzvah. the emphasis is, I'm afraid of a sin of omission. If I don't fulfill the mitzvah, I'm sinning. If I don't do the mitzvah, I have an obligation. I don't do the mitzvah. That's a sin. I'm afraid to sin. Hashem is there Hashem is watching me. I don't dare. I'm afraid. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I can't. So I have to I have to do the right thing. This is what he calls yedeichet. Then, in chapter forty-two, he talked about a higher uh, a higher level, which is yidat Elokim. The end of chapter forty-two. I'm afraid of Hashem, sense of awe of Hashem, here the emphasis is on Elohim. I sense something godly. It's not just I'm afraid because Hashem is watching me. There's an eye that sees and an ear that hears. I sense something godly. I sense Hashem. I sense something of Hashem. As the verse says, after all, Moshe tells the Jewish people, after all, what is Hashem asking of you? All Hashem is asking of you is, to fear Hashem, and to keep His mitzvot. In other words, we're talking about a level of fear, a level of awe that leads a person to do mitzvot. It becomes a motivation to do the mitzvah, not only a fear of sin, but when you send something godly and you're in awe of something godly, it leads you to actually do the mitzvot. And he explained that a person, a, a person trains himself to sense to look at this world and to see Hashem. So you look at the world and you see Hashem. Or, he says, you see how the world is constantly bowing down to Hashem. You see the stars go against their nature. Instead of going from west to east, they go from east to west because the Shechinah, God's presence, is in the west. They're constantly bowing down. They're going so quickly because they're bowing mm-hmm. down before Hashem. In other words, you start realizing the greatness of Hashem. I'm in awe of greatness. The eye that sees and the ear that hears, that's even if a stranger were in the room. If there was an eye that hears, if a stranger in the room, you behave a certain way. So knowing and realizing that Hashem is with me, so I'm afraid to do anything wrong. Somebody's watching. 24-7. Here, there's an aspect of greatness. Yidas Elohim, I sense something godly. I I get a sense of the greatness of Hashem. And that has a certain effect on you. And that's what he calls the lower level of Yir HaSelokim. This is the third level of fear, but it's the lower level of Yir HaSelokim. And the impact on you is is, uh, pretty superficial, but it has an impact. For example, when you meet a great person, what impact does that have on you? As an effect of meeting a great person, when you're in the presence of greatness, what effect does that have on you? Does any of that greatness rub off on you? you meet a brilliant person, do you walk away smarter? If you meet a great artist, do you walk away with a little art, a little more artistic ability? When you walk away with a great, you meet a great man, do you walk away with that greatness? No. But it has a certain impact. on you. I saw greatness. I was in the presence of greatness. If you met Einstein, you met someone great and you, you stood there, you would remember it for the rest of your life. I saw greatness. It has a certain... It lifts you up in a, a little bit. It has a certain lift. It has a certain impact on you. Quite external, but it has an impact. Inspiration, Inspiring. Yeah, yeah, a certain inspiration. When your presence of greatness... Shalukim, when you see how the whole world is bowing down to Hashem and all the stars and all the planets are such a rush because they're bowing down to Hashem, they're constantly aware of Hashem. You realize that they're bowing down to the king... It gives, it gives a certain inspiration, gives a certain elevation. Suddenly you become motivated to do a mitzvah because you, you're f- afraid of Hashem's greatness, you're in the presence of greatness. That's an external level, the lower level of Yidus al the Then there's a deep, the higher level, within the lower level itself, this, there's the lower level of the lower level. That's what we just discussed. Then there's the higher level of the lower level, which is the fourth level of Yidus, which is what we learned in this chapter, 43. That when you see how infinitely vast the universe is, and Hashem is the soul of the world, Hashem creates and animates and sustains every single organ, every single individual entity, and all the infinite myriad worlds, and Hashem is the soul of the world. When you sense Hashem is the soul of the world, that has a tremendous impact, because then you realize that you're the body the world is the body and Hashem is the soul not just the world is the body I am the body of Hashem so you become like a body so not only are you able to check your instincts and your urges like in the lower levels of awe you check your urges, you check your instincts Hashem is here, Hashem is watching, I'm going to check my urges I accept the yoke of heaven, I'm going to check my urges if I sense Hashem's greatness, I'm in the presence of greatness I'm going to check my urges but when you realize that Hashem is the soul and we are the body, you lose those urges. Not only you become egoless, just like the body. The body is completely egoless. A healthy body doesn't even sense itself; has no sense of ego. A healthy body is completely nullified before the soul. The soul, the soul, the identity of the body becomes the identity of the soul. So this is when you truly sense the greatness of Hashem, HaLakim, that leads you to become egoless, and that leads you to, to do Torah and to do mitzvah. This becomes a motivation that motivates you, not only to avoid the prohibitions, the transgressions, not to sin, not to do something wrong, but actually motivates you to do the mitzvah. This becomes the foundation for the mitzvot. Then we learn, finally, the higher level of fear, the ultimate level. The fifth level, which he calls Yira Eila, the higher level, which, as he said, as he said, this level could only come as an end result after you study Torah and after you do mitzvah, that leads you to a level of Yira, the higher level of fear. And what's that level? That level is when you realize, when you become completely nullified before God. You realize that we're not even like a body in relation to its soul. Because the body in relation to the soul is not an ego, but it's an entity. It's a vessel to the soul. It's significant, it has meaning, it has value. But you realize Ein there's no other reality but Hashem. You see how Hashem is constantly creating the world with a divine creative energy. And that divine creative energy is completely nullified within Hashem, within the source it does not occupy and engage Hashem the fact that He creates the world. That ability of Hashem to create the world, He can hardly even find it within Himself because it's so meaningless and insignificant within in relationship to Hashem Himself. So if the whole source of the world, the divine energy that's constantly creating us is completely nullified within Hashem, so too are we completely nullified within Hashem. Well, in relation to the actual... Divine energy that's creating us Or the divine words and utterances The ten utterances that create us He can't say we're nothing Because Hashem is communicating to us Obviously there has to be someone to communicate with And and the the fact that Hashem's energy is creating us So we have some significance In relation to the divine energy that's creating us But since that divine energy that's creating us In relationship to Hashem The source of that divine energy Is completely nullified within Hashem It's in a state of non-being and non-existence. So in relation to Hashem, we too are truly, absolutely nothing. All there is is Hashem. From Hashem's point of view, from Hashem's perspective, and the ultimate point of view, and ultimately the only point of view, all there is is really Hashem. There's nothing else. We're not even like a body in relation to the soul. There's nothing. It's as if we don't exist. Our true being is a state of non-being and non-existence. All there is is Hashem. Not even like a body to the soul. This obviously, to really live on that level, we become completely nullified, obliterated and nullified. There's absolutely no ego. Not only there's no ego, there's no entity. There's not even a non-egotistical entity. The body is a non-ego, and, and, uh, a non-egotistical entity. Completely nullified before the soul, unified with the soul. But it's an entity. The ultimate level of war is when you become a complete, not even a non-ego entity. A com- there is no entity. All there is is a Obviously, to reach such a high level of awe, such complete self-nullification, this is only, this is the highest level. This is, like he'll say later, with love, and he compares in a certain sense to love, it's like a gift from Hashem, it's something that's beyond, beyond, after you do Torah and after you do mitzvot, you can reach that level, the ultimate level. As the Pasek says in Deuteronomy, the whole Hashem gave us Torah and Mitzvot because it will lead us to fear. The ultimate level you can reach after you study Torah and after you do Mitzvah is to reach the realization and the point where there, you reach a complete level of egolessness, a complete level of absolute egolessness, absolute self nullification. All there is is Hashem. This is a, the highest level. Not everyone can merit this level. This is only the greatest tzaddikim, the greatest Jews can reach this level. The Jews at the giving of the Torah, every Jew, reach this level. Well, Mashiach will come, we'll all be at that level. Well, how
0: can you even be aware of the law at that level? I mean, if, it, if you're not even aware, if it's a total knock on this, how can you reach, you don't even have the ability to be aware that you're in law? You
1: know, it's... Uh, Talmud says that the ultimate, sometimes a person reaches a level where you bow down. When it says, Moedah and Lach, you bow down, you almost do it automatically. like On its own. It's not even me bowing down. It's like it says, before Shimon Esri, they say, Hashem, open my lips. Or well, the highest level of studying Torah, it's not I that's speaking. Hashem is speaking. I'm like answering after Hashem. I'm just mouthing Hashem's words it's like you're right it's as if there is no me there is no I it's Hashem is speaking not I am speaking my whole being is only here to serve Hashem there is nothing else It's, it's the ultimate level and on the contrary it's only when you reach this level that you can actually utilize the ego that's why it's only the complete tzaddik who can talk about himself Moshe spoke about himself on the day that he passed away, the day that he concluded the Torah, which was his personal Simchas Torah. He said he praised the tribe of God. He says because the tribe of God received a portion of Israel on the east bank and the east side of the Jordan, and that's where Moshe is buried. How could Moshe sing his own praises? Rabbi Shimon Ba'yechai sang his own praises. He says if there's one tzaddik in the world, it's me. But on the contrary, because the tzaddik is so nullified, that ego is just a tool. Only the tzaddik who's completely nullified can use ego as a tool. He's not afraid of ego. He doesn't have to run away from ego. That's what we learned in chapter 10. The ultimate tzaddik, the higher level of the tzaddik, he's not afraid. He can transform this world. He can deal with the world. The other tzaddik has to run away from this world. Because ultimately he's defined by ego, so he has to run away from ego. And his whole life is based on ego and running away from ego. Only the person who's completely nullified, all there is is Hashem, he doesn't have to, doesn't have to run away, he doesn't have to escape. There's no, there's, there's no reason to run. The ego just becomes another tool. So when he's speaking, he's not boasting, it's not arrogant, I, Rabbi Shimon, Ba Yehoi, is the greatest tzaddik that ever lived. Moshe is boasting, there's no ego, he's completely nullified. The day that he passed away, he's completely nullified. His story is completely nullified. He's so nullified there is nothing. He's not even like a body to the soul. So then ego just becomes another tool. He can talk about ego and use ego. He doesn't have, he's not afraid of it. He doesn't have to run away from it. And that's really the unique position of Yiddishkeit, our whole relationship to the world. The Jew, unlike all other religions, unlike all, all other mysticism which preach, asceticism, abstinence, escapism, going to the mountaintop, Judaism... Teachers teaches on the contrary, engaging in the world. How can the Jew engage the world? Precisely because we're so not defined by the world, because we have this level of complete self-nullification. And that's why it's important for us to know this. Why are we learning about this, if it's something we can never experience or achieve in our personal lives? Because this is the foundation of Judaism. The Jew has to know that this is the ultimate. And there are individuals who live this 24-7. And therefore, because a Jew has this knowledge that there is such a concept, there is such a faith, we have that level of faith deep down inside of us. There is that complete tzaddik deep down inside of us that knows this truth, that there is no other reality but God. Literally, there is nothing else but God. This gives the Jew the strength to be able to engage in the world and to totally transform the world. To eat, but to eat as a Jew. And to sanctify the act of eating. To engage in marital relations and to act and to transform it and to elevate it into something as holy and the holy of holies. To engage in the world, not to run away from the world. To celebrate beauty and yet elevate it and sanctify it with modesty and and make it something holy and godly. Versus all other religions and mysticism that escape from the world. They can't deal with it because they're defined by ego. So they have to run away from the ego. Only a Jew can totally utilize ego. He's not afraid and totally transform it into something else, into something God. Go back to lessons in Tanya.com, chapter 10, and uh, you can learn about it more in depth. So this is the highest, highest level of awe, and this is, he explains. This is what the Mishnah means. If there is no fear, there is no wisdom. And then he continues in the same breath, in the same sentence. And if there's no wisdom, there is no fear. That's a contradiction. Where do you start? Where do you begin? <laughs> it's, it's a conundrum. It's a riddle. What do you mean? If there's no, how, where do I start? You just said if there's no wisdom, if there's no fear, there's no wisdom. So I must start with fear. Fear. Then you tell me if there's no wisdom, there's no fear. So I must start with wisdom. So where do I start? <laughs> so what's this, a koan, a riddle? Again? <laughs> he says, no, it's talking about two different levels. There is the lower level of fear. And that's that's a, a, that's a precondition. Without that, you can't approach wisdom. Wisdom refers to Torah and mitzvot. The Torah and mitzvot have to be founded on, on fear, on the lower level of fear, or the sense of Hashem's greatness. Or the other levels that we discussed earlier. Accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven, level number one. Or sensing that there's an eye that sees the hear that here, level number two. Or level number three, being in awe of Hashem's greatness, sensing something of Hashem's greatness, being in awe of that greatness. Or level number four, sensing that Hashem is my soul, and therefore I'm the body, and the whole world is Hashem's body, and I am the body, and therefore I'm completely egoless. So I, I even lose any urge and instinct. And that leads a person to pursue Torah mitzvah. Without that level of sense of awe of Hashem, you won't pursue Torah mitzvah. That's the foundation. Once you pursue Torah mitzvah, now that I have wisdom, if there's no wisdom, that leads me to the ultimate awe, the fifth level, the higher level of awe, the awe where we're completely nullified. That's where we left off last week, in the middle of chapter forty-three, page six forty-three. Till now, he discussed the levels of awe, fear of awe. Now he's going to discuss, he's going to begin to discuss the different levels of love of Hashem. Now, there's a big difference between awe and love. Love, awe is not restricted to prayer, to times of prayer. The the love of Hashem, to develop love, that doesn't come naturally. And there's a time designated to develop and to cultivate that love. Whether it's a passionate love or a fiery love or all the different loves that he's going to discuss beginning with the middle of chapter 43 and then he's going to continue in the next chapters, a few chapters. All the different types of loves. There's a time when we, appropriate time that's designated to develop and cultivate these loves for Hashem and that time is prayer. But love is not something that comes natural. Love of godliness doesn't come naturally. You have to develop it. You have to cultivate it. There are some people who are more prone to love, more sensitive, more able to develop it. And others are more difficult. But whatever level it is, you have to, it doesn't come naturally. You have to work on it, and you have to develop that love for something godly. Versus awe, for a Jew, is almost natural. Because it's part of our nature. As Jews, as part of our nature, a Jew is in awe of Hashem. A Jew doesn't want to violate Hashem's will. Hashem's wish is sacred for us. We're afraid. We're afraid to violate Hashem's wish. If it says in the Torah, don't do it, you know, we're afraid to do it. It's Hashem says, don't do it. We don't treat it lightly. And the requirement for awe is not limited to the times of prayer. The three times a day that we pray, or in Shabbat, the four times a day. We pray on Shabbat on the holidays or on Rosh Chodesh or on Yom Kippur, the five times a day we pray in Yom Kippur. It's required 24-7. And that's why if you remember earlier that al Rebbe said that these meditations, he says a Jew has to remind himself of these meditations. These are the type of meditations all you need is a reminder. And you can always remind yourself. You're standing in the office, you can remind yourself. You want to sin, you're tempted to do something wrong. You you stop for a second and say, wait a minute, Hashem is standing here, Hashem is watching me. What do you mean sin? How can I do something wrong? How can I think something wrong? How can I speak vulgar if Hashem is here? I'm not just free to do as I please. I'm not a free person. Just follow every urge and follow every instinct and just live as you please and live like an animal. I can't. I'm a mensch. I'm Hashem's uh, servant. What do you mean? I'm a soldier. I can't just... uh, live as I please, and do as I please, and eat what I want, and speak as I want, and just free without any rain, without any inhibitions, without any limitation. what the world calls uh, bourgeoisie morality, yes, we're afraid, we're not, we're not, there are certain things that are beneath me, and certain things that we won't do, because Hashem, Hashem is watching, Hashem is here, I have a certain discipline. Certain things are beneath me. Certain things I won't do. It's pasnish. doesn't fit. So it acts as a certain limitation. We have standards. And certain things are beneath my dignity. To lower myself beneath those standards. Although it's very popular today. To live like a chaya. But I'm sorry. I can't. I'm a Jew. So this is something you have to remind yourself 24-7. You have to remember it's not limited to times of prayer, but the time, but in order to develop a love of Hashem, this is what it's called the service of Hashem, truly serving Hashem. It says in the Torah, you have to serve Hashem with all your heart." And the Talmud says that it's referring to prayer. because prayer, that's the time when you have to work on your heart. That's the time when you have to work on developing a love for Hashem. That's the designated time. Not just in the clock, and the calendar, we designated some free time to develop. But also time, prayer is an auspicious time. During prayer is a time when the heavens are open. In the times of prayer, the heavenly gates are open. It's a time when that's an auspicious time for you to develop these feelings towards Hashem, to fulfill the mitzvah of the Torah, love Hashem. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. You have to love Hashem. So you have to develop these loves and the purpose of developing these loves, as we learned earlier, is in order that this love will motivate you to do the mitzvah. Because it's only if you love Hashem, and you have a love for godliness, and you start having a, the feeling a pull and an attraction toward godliness, that will motivate you to fill your life with godliness. That will motivate you to study the Torah and to do the mitzvot, and then the mitzvot itself will be done. You'll do the mitzvah with passion and with zeal and with zest. The mitzvah will be done, will be an animated mitzvah. The mitzvah comes alive because the mitzvah is godly. Suddenly you have an enthusiasm, you have a hunger and a thirst to study Torah because every word in Torah, every letter in Torah is godly. So you want to connect to something godly. You have a love, you're pulled, you're attracted to anything that's godly. So any word of Torah, you can, it's like a person that's hungry and thirsty. Now you have an appetite. Every word of Torah, every letter of Torah suddenly talks to your soul you have a hunger and a thirst and a need I need this Torah a love for this Torah a feeling for this Torah because every letter and word in the Torah every bit of Torah that I study even mitzvah that I do I'm doing something divine I'm doing something godly so suddenly I'm alive as a Jew I'm not just I'm not just going through the road I'm not not just mechanical superficial heartless soulless joyless passionless suddenly the mitzvah I come alive as a Jew and therefore I'll do the mitzvah in the most beautiful way I'll be careful how I do the mitzvah. I'll beautify the mitzvah. The mitzvah itself will be done in a, in a, with, a, with life and soul and passion and joy. So this is the love that motivates us to do the mitzvah. That's the wing, the other wing. We discussed earlier the other wing. The bird needs two wings to fly. Awe is not enough. Yes, respect and awe is the fundamental and it's the foundation and it's the cornerstone, but it's not enough. We need the love to fly, to soar. And this is the service of the heart. This is what prayer is all about. That's why every morning we spend so much time praying before we start out the day to develop this feeling of Hashem. Once you develop it in prayer, then when you end your prayers and you go into the business, inevitably you're going to lose that intensity. You can't maintain and sustain that intensity. It's not like awe. Awe, you just have to remind yourself. And it's enough. It's enough. To remind yourself and to relive and to re-experience Hashem is here, Hashem is watching. You sense, once again, you remind yourself of Hashem's greatness and you're inspired or that Hashem is my soul and you become ego-less, or that there's nothing but Hashem. It's enough to remind yourself. In prayer, it's not enough to remind yourself. You cannot relive that same intensity that you experience during the time of prayer itself. But it does leave an impression for the rest of the day. And then the rest of the day, you remind yourself it lingers. That taste lingers for the rest of the day. That anything godly that you'll do that day, any mitzvah, any Torah, you'll do it with enthusiasm, with joy, with passion. You'll be alive as a Jew, a live Jew, a vibrant Jew. Not a in the Jew, not a Jew who's half asleep, sleepwalking, sleeping on the job. A Jew that's alive, a joyful, living, breathing, alive Jew now he's going to say that just like he discussed in general, there are two levels of awe, so too there are two levels of love. Page 60, uh, 643, the second paragraph.
2: Now in love too there are two grades, Ava Rabbah and avat Olam. Ava Rabbah is a love of the light and a goal present such as a desire to cleave to him or to expire in one's yearning for him. The love itself is comprised purely of delight in him and cleaving to him, and it is a fiery flame that rises of itself. Man does not create or kindle this love within himself. Rather, it comes forth spontaneously, and it comes from above by way of a gift to him who is perfect in fear, as is known from the saying of the rabbis of blessed memory. It is the way of man to search for the woman, and in spiritual terms, love is called man, or male, as it is written. He has remembered his loving kindness. The second letter of the verb <coughs> is vocalized with a patak, changing his style to a comic makes it mean male. Thus, love is alluded to as male. While a woman symbolizes fear of Hashem, as is known. The connection between female and the fear of Hashem is alluded to by the verse that says, To God-fearing woman, this then is the spiritual meaning of the statement of the sages. The way of man is to search for a woman. The level of love, man, is revealed from above to search for where the level of fear, woman, is already present and complete. Without the prerequisite of fear, it is impossible to attain the level of Aha Rabba, for this love originates from the realm of Atsu- Atsulat, where there is no sun- sundering or separateness Hashem forbid. In the world of Atsulat, nothing exists which is separate from godliness. Nothing at the level feels that it exists independently of, of Hashem. And everything in Atsulah is totally nullified to godliness. Understandably, the love that emanates from such a level cannot light upon one whose fear of God is imperfect and who still perceives himself as existing independently of Him. Complete self abnegation is prerequisite for this level of love. There
1: is a level of love which cannot, does not come about and cannot come about as a result of your efforts and your service. It's a gift. And it's a gift that only comes about after a person reaches the peak, the highest level of awe we described earlier, the higher level of awe, which you become completely nullified before Hashem. You're not even a non-egotistical entity, but an absolute non-entity before Hashem, which itself is a level that transcends prayer. It's something it comes as a result after the Torah and after the mitzvot you reach that level it's the ultimate level the point and the theme behind all Torah and mitzvot to reach a level where you realize there's nothing but Hashem where you live life and you experience life from Hashem's point of view which is there's nothing but Hashem absolutely nothing but Hashem it's as if the whole world doesn't exist all there is is Hashem the world is completely nullified within Hashem and after you reach that level, then Hashem gives you a gift. And the gift is a love of pleasure, which is a reward. Because all other loves are means to an end. The love leads you to do the Torah and do the mitzvot. You love Hashem and therefore you hunger for Hashem. You yearn for Hashem. You want to cleave to Hashem. And how do you cleave to Hashem? through studying Torah and doing a mitzvah by doing something divine that's how you connect with Hashem that's how you satisfy that hunger but this is a hunger that comes after Torah and Mitzvah after the highest level of awe it's a love that's an end in itself it's like a marriage an intimate relationship it's an end in itself just being together celebrating each other celebrating with each other and celebrating each other that is the end not a means to an end because in that love you you derive pleasure from Hashem you derive pleasure from the reality that there is no other reality but Hashem and once you truly live that reality it gives you so much pleasure and it totally permeates your whole being just like pleasure pleasure is something that's not 99.9% it's 100% just like the moment of intimacy the ultimate pleasure 100% 100% it engages your whole being bodily spiritually physical spiritual mental emotional psychological conscious subconscious there isn't a single part within you that's not 100% concentrated in that moment at that moment that's the nature of pleasure pleasure is all consuming it's total so when Hashem when you realize and you recognize there's no other reality but Hashem and that gives you so much pleasure to recognize that truth What a mind-boggling truth. What a mind-blowing truth to realize and to experience and to feel in your heart. Not just in your heart, your whole being. Every fiber of your being, every bone in your body becomes totally swept up in this ecstasy. This is the ultimate level. The level of pleasure. And it's a level that totally transforms you. This is the level of the greatest tzaddik that we learned earlier in chapter 10. It's a level that totally transforms you. transforms your whole being. Conscious, subconscious your whole being becomes Kadle. you become a different person where your whole Yiddishkeit becomes a celebration of the marriage of the Jew and Hashem the total marriage total union total intimacy 100% there's no part of you that's left out of this relationship and that, that's an end in itself that gives you pleasure in itself it's a reward It's not I'm yearning for something else. That is the greatest reward, the fact that I'm sitting and I'm with Hashem. And you realize there is nothing else but Hashem. You become so one with Hashem, there's nothing else. That gives you tremendous pleasure. That is like a reward. It's not like all the other loves that's a yearning for something and that causes you to yearn for something and that motivates you to do the Torah and Mitzvot. This is a level of love that comes after you're already doing the Torah and Mitzvot. After you're doing Torah and Mitzvot in the most complete way based on the lower level of awe. And you do the Torah and mitzvot in the complete way. And there's the wisdom. And that wisdom leads to the highest level of awe, where you come completely nullified before Hashem. You're not even a non-egotistical entity. You become a non-entity. All there is is Hashem. And then that leads to this tremendous, overwhelming love. Fiery love, overwhelming love. Love of pleasure, of ecstasy. We become completely one and intimate with Hashem Himself obviously this is not a level for <laughs> people like us <laughs> this, is, this is one or two in a generation this is a level for the complete tzaddik the highest tzaddik and this is a level of the world of Atsilas. the world of atzillus is the world of emanation it's a divine world because it's Hashem's emanation it's not like the other worlds that are separate from Hashem that they are created entities the world of emanation is Hashem's it's like Hashem's so to speak personality and character His mind, His wisdom, His love His compassion, His speech it's Hashem it's inseparable from Hashem so when you talk of love in the world of emanation it's a divine love so, so too the tzaddikim who reached the level of the world of emanation this is a world where there's no separation. It's divine. It's completely unified within the, within the divine. So the love is a love of ecstasy. There's no ego. Because pleasure, the nature of pleasure is, pleasure is, it means there's something inward. There's an innate connection. All other levels of love, it's almost like a manufactured connection. It's like you take two, two different things and you tie them together. And you can make a very strong knot. But but there are two separate things that you tie together. So you can develop a love for Hashem, a love for godliness, an appreciation for spirituality, an appreciation for something godly. But ultimately, there's always a separation factor. There's always me and I that's loving Hashem. So there's I and there's Hashem, but we're very tight. We're bound. I bind myself to Hashem. I'm attracted to Hashem. I tie myself to Hashem. My heart is pulled towards Hashem. But as tightly wound as you are and as tightly bound as you are, it's two strings that are being tied together. There's a separation, inherent separation. Pleasure. The ultimate pleasure. Pleasure is something that's from within. There's an innate connection, inherent connection. That's why marriage is like two half-souls. When two half-souls come together, they're innately connected. It's It's not like taking two ropes and tying it together. There's a soul connection. It's a natural connection. It's like two halves are the most naturally connected. There's an innate connection. One half is, you can't have one half without the other, inseparable. It's not a manufactured connection. It's not an external connection. It's from within. That's what pleasure represents. Pleasure is something from within. That means there's an inner connection. When there's that inner connection, and you become like inseparable, like two halves. So when the Jew feels that I am a half to Hashem, that there's an innate connection between my, myself and Hashem, there is, so then there is no self. There is no separation. It's not two separate entities coming together. My ego is overcoming the ego and drawing closer to Hashem and being attracted to Hashem and tying myself very tightly to Hashem, to a very tight knot. It's much deeper. There's an inherent connection. There's an innate connection. My soul is a piece of Hashem. My soul is a piece of the Divine. So we're innately, inherently connected. We're two halves, we're inseparable. Once you realize that, then it's, it's, it's a love of pleasure, pure ecstasy. Because then every fiber of my being, every bone of my body is connected. There's absolutely no separation. It's a marriage. It's a soul connection. This is the world of Atzillus. This is the love of Atzillus. It's not two separate entities. It's completely, absolutely, inherently, innately one. This is the love of pleasure, the love of ecstasy. This is not within the human capacity. No human being, no matter how great he is, can achieve this level. To become absolutely innately, inherently one with Hashem, it's impossible. Because innately, inherently, we're separate from Hashem. We're created beings, we're egos, we're minds. Even the greatest mind, the greatest intellect, who comprehends the deepest, deepest levels of Hashem. But there's a separation. You're a separate being, and entity. So this is a gift from Hashem. Only Hashem could bestow this gift on us. But who does Hashem bestow this gift on? Someone who's perfect. Someone who has reached the ultimate level of nullification, of self nullification. That's who Hashem is attracted to, so to speak. Just like in the male female relationship. It's a two-way street. It's a relationship. It's not a mechanical event. The more the woman opens herself up, and the more eager and interested she seduces the husband, the, the male, then it evokes a response from from within. The more you bring to the table, the more open you are, the more of a receiver, the more you open yourself up to receive, the more the attraction, you generate that attraction. So you have to make yourself into a vessel to be able to attract each other. So when the person reaches a level of year, When a person opens himself up, a person becomes completely egoless, reaches the peak, the highest level of Yira, of complete awe, of complete nullification before Hashem, that becomes a powerful attraction. and That evokes a response from within Hashem. That Hashem responds by bestowing and giving this gift on this person. That Hashem, so to speak, becomes attracted to us. Hashem reveals Himself to us and therefore reveals that innate, inherent connection between our soul and Hashem, and therefore gives that individual, that tzaddik, the gift of that love of pleasure, that pure ecstasy, which is an end in itself, a reward in itself, a sense of, ultimate sense of intimacy with Hashem, total intimacy with Hashem, 100% intimacy with Hashem. And that's so indescribable. That ecstasy and that pleasure is so indescribable. We can talk about it, but we can hardly imagine what it's like. You know, to us, we don't associate pleasure, we, we associate our experience of pleasure, is we don't associate it with godliness. You know, we don't associate it with holiness. But we do know what it means, total pleasure and total ecstasy. We do experience that. Imagine having that total ecstasy and total pleasure with Hashem. And that's why the Tov says that's why when the Jew davens, you shake during Davni. Why does the Jew shake during Davni? The Tov says, you know why a Jew shakes during davening? Especially when you're Davni Shmonasri, the silent prayer? Because Shemona Esrei, that's the level of Atzilus. When you pray, you're climbing a ladder, Jacob's ladder. That's prayer. And the ladder has four rungs. You have the first rung, which is from the beginning of Davening till Baruch That's the lowest level. Then you the next level, the higher level, from Baruch till Yishtaba. The third rung is Shema. The blessings of the Shema before and after and then you reach the highest level, the fourth level, the fourth world, you enter into the world of Atzilus. And the Jew shakes because that's the moment of intimacy. Just like when the moment of intimacy, you shake, you move, because it's pure ecstasy. It, it, it envelops every fiber of your being and every bone in your body. You can't just remain detached and cold-blooded. And so that's the moment of intimacy of a Jew and Hashem. And when you reach that moment of intimacy, you're moving, you're shaking. Your whole being, you're physically shaking, not just mentally and emotionally and spiritually and psychologically. You're physically moving because it it, it touches your whole being. And he's explaining that's the reason why every Jew shakes during that. Because deep down, we all have that tzaddik within us. We're not aware of it. But that's the truth. That is our truth. That's why we're learning about this. Why are we learning about this if we can never achieve this level? Because the fact that there's one tzaddik in the world, because deep down, he's a reflection that deep down there is that tzaddik within us. Because each and every one of us has a piece of the divine essence. So Our souls are rooted in the world of emanation. That is our true source. In a certain sense, that is really us. In the deepest sense. We're not aware of it. We're not conscious of it but when you look at that, that's why the tzaddik strikes such a chord because when you look at the tzaddik you're really looking at yourself a reflection of your truest self your deepest self your core self and that's why physically you shake you move even though you don't realize it yourself what's going on but your neshama realizes so your neshama is moving uh, your body is moving your whole being is moving it's not just your soul is moving in the code of Jewish law he says that we shake because the soul is compared to a candle and the candle is constantly shaking that would explain why the soul is shaking. Why is the body shaking? The body is not a candle. The soul is a candle. It comes along the Shem and it says because it's like the act of intimacy. It's not just your soul that's shaking. Your whole being is shaking. With ecstasy and with pleasure. Because you're coming one with Hashem. Inseparable from Hashem. We're half and Hashem is half. We're inseparable. It's not like a a, a, a knot, tight knot. We become close to Hashem. We're drawn to Hashem. We're attracted to Hashem. We become very tight, very close, very warm towards each other. It's much deeper than that. You uncover that inherent, innate connection between the Jew and Hashem. And that connection is absolute, 100%. Every fiber of our being, every bone in our body. Spiritually as well as physically. There's no part of us that's left out of this connection. This is a gift from Hashem. This is not something you can accomplish on your own. But when, when do you achieve this? When you reach the ultimate level of awe. You start the Shemot Esra, you say, Hashem, <coughs> please open my lips. I can't even move my lips. Because I'm not even here. I can't even speak. When you reach the higher level of fear, of awe, there is no I. I can't even open my mouth. Because I don't even, I'm not even here. I don't even exist. I can't even open my mouth. You pray, Hashem, please open my mouth for me. Speak for me. When you reach such a level of awe, when you open yourself up, that, that evokes that powerful attraction that Hashem becomes attracted to us. So to and it reveals that level of world of emanation within us. And it reveals that level of ecstasy, how on the core and the essential level, we are one with Hashem, innately connected to Hashem. A Jew is innately and inherently connected with Hashem. It's not an imposed type of connection. It's not like religion and mysticism that's manufactured, that's external, that's added on. It's something that's innate, inherent. Hashem reveals that. And only Hashem has the power to reveal that within us. It's not within the human nature. We don't have that power to reach that level, the world of emanation. But when we reach the highest level that we can reach, we become completely nullified with Hashem. Hashem becomes so attracted to us, such a powerful attraction, such a powerful pleasure, and that evokes the pleasure within us until the tzaddik reaches the level where the highest level of love possible, love of pleasure, ecstasy, pure ecstasy, absolute ecstasy, divine ecstasy. Obviously, anyone who achieves that will never be the same person. Your life will be completely transformed. You no longer, you cease to have a Yetzirah, you cease to have an evil incarnation. Your negative becomes transformed into something positive. Not only aren't you attracted any longer to anything negative, you're actually repulsed by anything negative because your whole being has become good and godly explain the great length in chapter 10. So this is the higher level of pleasure. But now we come to the lower level of pleasure.
0: Uh, the alum, however, The second and lower level of love is that which comes from the understanding and knowledge of the greatness of God, the blessed unso which fills all worlds, animating them with the permeating mode of vitality, which is limited and tailored to the capacity of each creature. It encompasses all, animating them with the vitality which transcends them, not being limited by the worlds and created beings and a- animates. And before whom everything is accounted as nothing at all, with the nullity of one, one utterance within the intelligent soul, while it is still in its thought or in the desire of the heart, as has been explained earlier. As a result of such contemplation, the attribute of love which is in the soul will, as a matter of course, divest itself of its garments which it had previously worn. This means to say that the individual will cease loving those things he had previously loved, this love having previously led him to vest himself in those things. And all his love will be directed to God alone. That is, it will not clothe itself in anything of pleasure or enjoyment, whether physical or spiritual, to love it and will not desire anything whatever in the world other than God alone, the source of the vitality of all enjoyments.
1: Ava's Eulam is, he says, a lower level of love. There's avar abba, a great level of love. And that's the love of pleasure, of ecstasy. Versus Avas oilam, Which is a lower level of love. Although it's stated elsewhere. The rabbis say. That Avas Eulam. Is a greater level of love than even Ava But in Avas Eulam you have two interpretations. Oilam has two interpretations. Eulam. Means world, but oilam also means eternity. So it's two opposite meanings. Avas oilam, an eternal love, that's a love that's even greater than the love of Ava Rabba, the great love, which is the love of ecstasy. But here he's discussing. <coughs> The other interpretation of a means world. So here he's referring to avas aulam, a love that's derived from the world. This type of love, a love that's derived from the world, this is a lower level of love than the love of Avarabba, the great love, the love of ecstasy. What's the source of this love? The source is From meditating and contemplating how Hashem fills all the worlds. Hashem is the soul of the world. Hashem transcends all the worlds. And He transcends all the worlds and He he sustains the worlds through His transcendence. Just like within the soul, you have the conscious level of the soul which is our whole frame of reference. But then you realize that the conscious level of the soul is just one tiny aspect of the soul. 99.9% of the soul is subconscious. There's an infinite, vast universe within us that we're oblivious to, completely unaware. There are trillions of things happening in the human body every moment. It would be impossible, humanly impossible, for us to consciously grasp even a tiny fraction of what really goes on within us every single moment. It's so infinitely vast. The human brain is more complex than the entire universe, all the galaxies and stars put together. One brain. Billions of cells and gazillions of connections that are totally beyond, I mean, there's no computer that can even, it's totally beyond our grasp. All of this is within us, but we're completely oblivious to it. We're only oblivious of that part we're conscious of which is one tiny fraction of who we are. 99% of the body happens with unself-consciously. We're completely uh, unaware of what happens, how we breathe, and how we digest, and how we eat, and how we live, and how we walk. It's just... So, so too, we are conscious of Hashem, of the world. Hashem creates the world, sustains the world, animates the world, but then there is the transcendence of Hashem. There's there's (laughs) infinite levels that totally elude our awareness. And that's the primary source of life. Just like within us, the subconscious is the primary source of life. But we're completely oblivious to it. Because the part that we are, we are aware of is, and we think we're in control, we're in control and we're in charge and we're aware of is it. one tiny little aspect of who we are, a fraction of a fraction of who we really are. There's so much more going on, there's so much deeper going on, there's totally a different level of awareness. Awareness that's totally transcendent. Beyond our, it eludes our grasp because it eludes our consciousness. Because it's so infinite and so beyond, our consciousness is like a, like you take a drop. Imagine trying to take a drop of the ocean and reducing it to a faucet. Because if the, if the ocean would come flooding into your house, you wouldn't be able to handle it. So what do you do? You limit it to a little pipe, and then the ocean comes into your house, drop by drop. Is that a reflection of the ocean of the source? The ocean is so vast. But I couldn't handle it, so the only thing I can handle is drop by drop. So our whole linear, conscious cause of cause and effect, linear way of thinking, conscious way of thinking, is so limited, is so narrow. It's just a, a fraction of what's really going on. But because we can't handle it, our subconscious, what's really going on, operates in a whole different dimension, a transcendent dimension. It totally transcends our concepts and ideas and words, numbers. It's totally beyond, it's infinite. So that's, so the, says, that, that's the world of transcendence. When it
0: says it fills all worlds. Is that all worlds within us?
1: No, all worlds, world. all worlds. In other words, the, the whole bria, universe.
0: The, the whole universe.
1: And but that's the level of a molecule. That's like the conscious level. That's what we're aware of. We're aware, we see the world is alive. But then there's a transcendent life force. Just like within us. The subconscious, completely transcendent. It, but that's the source of our life. But it eludes our grasp. So we call it Tzayvim kolam. It's like above us. It's surrounding us. It's all around us. We can't grasp it. Not because it's not there. It penetrates our very being. That is the ultimate source of life. But we don't sense it. So too, Hashem not only animates the world and sustains the world Like the body fills the soul on a conscious level, but there's also so much more going on. It's the subconscious. It's the save of Hashem, The way Hashem completely transcends our whole frame of reference. And that's the ultimate source of our sustenance. That's the ultimate source of our life. And then you go even deeper. The very essence of Hashem. Because even the level of Hashem, the way Hashem transcends the world, there has to be some relation to the world. The subconscious has some relation to the conscious. It's transcendent, it's like, almost like infinite compared to the finite, but nevertheless, it relates to it. It's like a drop of the ocean compared to the ocean. But the drop of the ocean has some relation to the ocean. Ultimately, the ocean is made up of drops. Versus the essence of Hashem, to the essence of Hashem, it's as if the world doesn't exist. It's not even like a drop of the ocean in relation to the ocean. It's not even like a body in relation to the soul. It's not even like the conscious in relation to the subconscious. All there is is Hashem. It's as if it doesn't exist. It's literally a non-entity, a non-being, a non-existent. It means absolutely nothing. So the more you meditate and the more you reflect by looking at the world and realizing that what you see with a naked eye, you see the energy, you see the vitality, you see the life force, the soul of the world, that's just mamalik almond. That's just the way Hashem fills the world. Which points to that there has to be a subconscious, there has to be something that's completely transcendent, that's totally beyond, and that's the true source of the world. And ultimately all of this is just a projection of Hashem, but there's also the essence of Hashem. And in relation to the essence of Hashem it's as if nothing exists, period. When you realize that, suddenly you feel it evokes a passionate love for Hashem. A yearning for Hashem. This is Ava? This is Ava (laughs) (laughs) Glad you understand it. (laughs) Which leads, which begs the question, and therefore we'll stop here and open for questions and we'll continue next week, which begs the question. Because it doesn't, it seems to be a very discrepancy here. Because we just learned, we just finished discussing earlier, that what's the higher level of awe of Hashem? The level where nothing exists besides Hashem. Not only Hashem fills all the worlds, not only Hashem is transcendent from all the worlds, He surrounds all the worlds, He's transcendent, but in relation to Hashem, it's as if nothing exists. And that leads a person to the highest level of awe, where not only I become an egoless entity, I become but an entity nonetheless, and I, be, I become a non-entity. All there is is Hashem. And yet here he's saying that when a person meditates and reflects on that very fact, on that fact that there's nothing but Hashem, that will only lead you to the lower level of love. Ava Salem, a love that's taken from the world. Not Ava Rabba, not the great love, the love of ecstasy. A lower level of love. It makes no sense. It's a discrepancy. Earlier he said that when you realize that there's nothing exists but Hashem, that leads to complete bitl complete self-nullification, complete egolessness. And here he's saying, realizing that nothing exists but Hashem, that, that will lead you to a love. But a love that's taken from the world, a love which the person retains his ego, retains his identity, but, just, but he feels warm to Hashem, he feels close to Hashem, he feels connected to Hashem, he wants to connect with Hashem. But nevertheless, you don't lose your ego, you don't lose your identity. Well, earlier he said, that if you see that there's nothing but Hashem, then you become completely nullified. So how do you reconcile the two? So we'll, uh, we'll go come back to this next week. Let's open now for uh, questions. I see you made some notes, some questions, <coughs> comments. Yes.
2: Why do we go into such detail to learn something that is unseeable? I mean, what, what is the purpose of our knowing this? And I'm sure there's a purpose.
1: It's a tremendous purpose, because even though you can't achieve it, firstly you have to know there are people who have it, who are achieving it, who have achieved. Secondly, you have to know that deep down within us. There's a level within our soul, the root of our soul, that, that is achieving. And it affects us. As the Baal says, why does the Jew physically shake by davening? Because on the deepest levels, you are achieving this. Whether you feel it or not, whether you're conscious of it or not, it doesn't change the fact. And most importantly, the reason why it's important for us to know is because when you're very ambitious, when you try to reach the stars you may never reach the stars. But you know what? You're guaranteed that you won't walk in the mud. It will lift you up above the mud. Versus if your whole goal is to stay above the mud, <laughs> we know we never reach our goals, then like more than likely you will end up in the mud. If a person says, I want to make... I want to make... Uh, 100,000 a year. Listen, if you make 70,000, okay, it's respectable, it's close. I didn't reach my goal. But if you want to make 200,000, 70,000 is a joke. I didn't even reach half of my goal. The greater your goal, the more it'll, it'll, it'll elevate you. So the fact that you're aspiring to something, you're aspiring to something that perhaps you can't achieve. But it, it, it elevates you. And at least you'll, you'll accomplish much more. You will be able to accomplish that that you need to accomplish. Which is the lower level of love. That's a level that we can all accomplish. We can all achieve. This level that he's describing right now. The Avas Eulam. So that will help you. Knowing that there's Ava Rabba. Knowing there's a greater level of love. That will help you achieve what we could achieve the lower level of love because it keeps, you keep your eye on the ball keep your eye focused you realize that there's something greater something to aspire to so it whets your appetite and therefore you'll make sure at least to accomplish what you need to accomplish also in order for a Jew who lives in this world who's very much affected by surrounding by your environment and to reach to live a Jewish life you have to know in some place within you, you have to know this truth that nothing exists but Hashem. Because that's the only thing that will help you not be impressed by the world. Otherwise, it's very difficult. How can I, a little tiny Jew, stand up to the whole world? How could I? Where do I get the strength? But when you know that there's nothing nothing exists but Hashem, that gives you the strength then I know that this is the truth. Whether I feel it or not, whether I'm conscious of it or not, whether I could experience it or not, fully, partially, it doesn't matter. I know that this is the truth. The truth is, there is nothing but Hashem. Nothing exists. And therefore, nothing in this world could truly be an obstacle. It must be an optical illusion. How could anything in this world be an obstacle to Hashem if the truth is that nothing exists but Hashem? So everything in this world is really here, is really divine, is really here for Hashem. Everything in this world is here to strengthen Hashem, to strengthen Godliness. and has to have a divine purpose, a divine plan. So therefore you're not so taken by the world, you're not so overwhelmed. Otherwise, without this knowledge, those Jews who don't study Hasidus, it becomes very overwhelming. You have an option. Either you can lock yourself up in the ghetto and ignore the world, try to, Today it's impossible with the internet. Or you just become overwhelmed. I can't look at this overwhelming world. The world is so appears to be the, the antithesis of godliness, the antithesis of everything the Torah stands for, the antithesis of Menschlichkeit, the antithesis of truth, the antithesis of genuineness. You look at all the leaders and the politicians today, one bluffer bigger than the next. It, it's almost hard to take. And then Hashem expects me to live up to these ideals. Look at the world. The world is so coarse. How can I, a little tiny Jew, stand up to these overwhelming forces? But when you realize the truth and you recognize there's nothing but Hashem, then you're not taken in. You're not overwhelmed. Because you realize the truth is there's nothing but Hashem. And my mission as a Jew is to reveal that truth by doing something godly, by studying Torah, by doing a mitzvah, by introducing godliness into the world. Every time you do a mitzvah, you're softening the coarseness of this world. Every time you light a candle, you're bringing light, godliness into this world. A little light dispels a lot of darkness. Then you're not taken in by the lies of the world. Otherwise, you're just overwhelmed. Most Jews become very intimidated. When the world accuses Israel of war crimes, Most Jews become overwhelmed and intimidated. Instead of getting up and with pride and dignity, shining a light and speaking up and speaking like a Jew and telling the truth, people become overwhelmed. The world wants me to make peace, so let me have to compromise. I have no choice. They call me a thief. Who am I to argue? If the whole world calls me a thief, I must be a thief. I probably stole the land from the poor Arabs, those poor murderers. I mean, that's, that's how most people, even many religious Jews, become completely intimidated. The New York Times, and the State Department, and Washington, and the European Union, and the whole UN, gangs up on us and calls us, list him, you're, you're thieves, you can't love him. I'm a tiny little country, I'm a tiny little Jew, I'm dependent on the United States, I'm dependent on Europe for business, how can I get up and say it? this is our land, it belongs to Hashem and it's divine and it's divinely connected to the Jew and the Arabs have zero connection to this land and we're not giving it one one inch and there's nothing to discuss. How can one tiny little Jew stand up to the whole entire world? So if you don't study Hasidus, if you don't spend time studying that there is a truth, that there's no other reality but Hashem, so nothing in this world can oppose the Jew. It's just a test, it's an optical illusion. You have to be strong and if you light a candle, a divine candle and the divine light of truth, you'll see that the whole darkness will melt away. And as we see, we just saw it the last few weeks. Amazing. They're accusing Israel of war crimes. Ayod Barak cannot land in London because they're going to arrest him. You know what the real war crime is?
2: That's not Barak, somebody else somebody else ok but
1: as soon as Ayyed Barak leaves the government
2: they're
1: going to arrest. can't travel you know what the real war crime is not that they attacked Gaza that they kicked out 8500 Jews from Gaza when Israel during the Six Day War no one accused Israel of war crimes and Tebi no one accused Israel of war crimes Nineteen eighty one no one accused Israel of war crime. Jews can go anywhere in the world with their heads high. But when a Jew becomes intimidated and overwhelmed and loses sight of who he is and what he is, and he starts acting, becomes intimidated and starts expelling Jews, that's when the world calls you a war criminal. They think they're war criminals because they attack Gaza. No. Because you're not whom are you kidding? You kicked out 8,500 Jews and you thought we're going to love you. Love you. We never treated you with greater disrespect. You're a war criminal. Jewish generals are afraid to walk in London because they're going to be arrested like common criminals. War criminals. For defending citizens, civilians against, against criminals, terrorists who hide behind men with their own wives, men, women, and children, mm. to attack children. And they are accused of war criminals. You know what the real reason is? Because they kicked out 8,500 Jews? Because a Jew became intimidated. I mean, I just read today, it's so tragic. It's tragic. I mean, your heart, your heart has to cry. This Jewish mother in Israel, she's very active in these left-wing uh, dialogue with the Palestinians, and and her son was brutally murdered with nine other soldiers and they after two and a half years they caught the terrorists the Arab terrorists who murdered brutally murdered cold bloodedly murdered it's ten Jewish it's ten Israeli soldiers ten Jews she couldn't sleep at night she said I have to write a letter of forgiveness she's asking forgiveness the mother this Jewish mother who lost her son she's saying you have to understand we love you and my son was against the occupation. And I know we stole the land from you. And, and please, you have to understand. and, and uh, Anyway, he wrote her back a scathing letter. He says, firstly, I don't even want to talk to you. I'm not writing to you, I'm writing to someone else. But how dear you equate? You equate the the criminals with the victims? I am the victim and your son is the criminal and you're equating the two of us? <laughs> and the mother was in shock. Not that she learned a lesson. She says no, she sat down and wrote back. But you don't understand. I really believe that we're, we stole the land from you <laughs> and it's really our fault. And she can't understand why. She says, you know, maybe, maybe I'll write and maybe in 20 years they'll realize that they'll come to love us. This is, this is sad. When a Jew becomes so intimidated, we're so taken in by the world, he become so intimidated by the New York Times, and we become so intimidated by the world, the accusations, unless a Jew knows this truth. If you know this truth, that all there is is Hashem, and nothing even exists in relation to Hashem, not even like a body to a soul, not even like the conscious in relation to the subconscious, not even like a drop of the ocean in relation to the ocean. There's nothing. All there is is Hashem. So how dear anyone in the world can come and oppose Hashem if Hashem said in His Torah, the Creator of heaven and earth said in His Torah that Israel belongs to the Jewish people. There is no force in the universe. How dear anyone can get up and say differently. I'm not giving up an inch, I'm not a half an inch, there's nothing to discuss. And you know what? That's when the world respects you. There no war criminals after the Six-Day War, after Entebbe, or after 81. When a Jew acted like a Jew, they respected you. But when a Jew becomes so intimidated, and unfortunately many religious Jews also, yes, it says in the Torah, but come on, the Torah we read behind closed doors on Shabbat, make sure there's no video, there's no tape recording, you're not allowed to tape on Shabbat, so no, make sure nobody can even hear what you're saying. It doesn't go beyond these, these locked closed doors. Yeah, it's a nice sentiment. It's a nice sentiment. It's a nice, it's a nice myth. Of course, we would love that Israel should be Jewish, but we have to make painful compromises. We're adults, we're living in the real world, a real real politic. Yeah, we noticed real politics where that real politic that led us. To the abyss. Well, if you follow the Torah and you follow the simple truths of the Torah, that's when the non-Jews respected you. That's when Israel lived safely. That's when Jews walked with their heads high. That's when the Arabs lived safely. Instead of telling the arabs and teasing them with lies something that can never be because there never will be a palestinian state not in god's lifetime <laughs> so this this is so critical it's not by accident that it's the chabad it's the rebbe who spoke so clearly had that clarity versus so many other religious jews it's like it's like there's nobody around there's nobody everyone is intimidated they don't make a connection that the torah is reality this is reality when the Torah says that Israel belongs to Jewish people, that's the reality. This is not some religious, mystical, secret, nice sentiment, holy sentiment. And you have the real reality, real politics, the real world. This is the reality. There is no other reality. So even if you can't live it experientially, but knowing that gives you the strength to be able to do what you have to do. To be continued next week.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.